Hello, we're here, the brand new Strong Dads podcast. So we've done this in kind of various forms over probably what, back in the last year, the last sort of three months, was it September we started? Something like that? Yeah, I think so. Was it September? Yeah. Yes. So we figured as we were going pretty well, we're getting some good feedback and hopefully this will... uh, continue we'll get some good feedback and uh, everything with this one <laughs> we figured we'd take it to its own uh, make it its own show so um we'll do we won't do full intros and everything now because we've got a full episode coming up where you'll get to know us a bit better but today we thought we'd kick it off with a big one so um nearly our resident former pro athlete blue tick on uh, on his socials all that guy <laughs> pulled uh pulled a few strings went through his uh little black book and got in Luke Ambler. So for those of you who don't know, Luke is a former professional rugby league player who set up, he had a pretty traumatic thing going on in his life and off the back of it, he set up something called Andy's Man Club, which you may or may not have heard of, but um, it's a, a group for men who are having a tough time, struggling to go and talk about, I guess, their issues, air, kind of what they've got going on with the view to, I guess, improving their mental health and kind of preventing, I guess, preventing suicide, really, which is something that's, you know, massively important at the minute, particularly with all the lockdowns going on and, and all that kind of thing. And I don't know about you boys, for me, it was a massively inspiring episode as much as anything else. He went deep, but it was it was a really, really fun and massively inspiring to listen to. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think we all came away sort of a bit, open mouthed with with what we what we went through and everything and what we spoke about and just to to listen to what he's done to help so many people. I think we all yeah we all came away sort of yeah. I'm trying to think of the right words to be honest. It's like inspired, like in awe of a bit and and, and sort of everything else in between. It's it was uh well yeah like I say Neely was saying before I think looking on the screen we all just sort of sat open mouthed for a lot of it. And uh, yeah, he was, he was mega, really, really good chat. Yeah, for me, it was just obviously I've known Luke from afar, I've never, you know, played with him, but played against him, always respected him as a rugby player, and he was always tough and fair on the field. And just hearing his story from, like I say, you can get very easily get stuck within um, a small kind of I'm a rugby player mindset. So hearing his story, it's uh, he shares it really well of how he's grown. I thought it was. Uh, Amazing, so it's a good listen. Yeah, so let's get into it. Enough of us kind of going on about it now. Um, Hopefully you guys will get as much out of it as we did, uh, kind of talking to him and listening to him as much as else. So yeah, here's uh, here's Luke. So today, first guest we've got on the show, New Week. So today we've got uh, Luke Ambler, former professional rugby league player for Salford City Reds, Leeds Rhinos. He's also had a couple of brief spells at York and Harlequins and finished his career in a successful Halifax side. He's represented Ireland at the 2013 World Cup and European tournaments in 2014 and 2015. And more recently, you might have heard of um, Luke because he formed Andy's Man Club in 2016, which originally started with nine guys just kind of sitting down, talking about kind of their mental health and their struggles. And it's now grown to 28 groups all across the UK, you've probably seen the um, like the It's Okay hand symbol that 
went all over social media uh, a couple of years ago and still gets uh, uh, goes viral kind of every year to do with mental health. And he's now an award-winning mental health campaigner, motivational speaker. And in the eyes of me and Jones, his biggest achievement was absolutely melting nearly when they played against <laughs> each other in, uh, on the rugby pitch. And that's so. Uh, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's great to have you here. And I wonder if you start off just by, I guess, adding a bit of meat to the bones that I've just put there, really. Just tell us a bit about your story and how you got to this point now, really. Yeah, I can I can tell you a story from today. My, my dad dropped a lot. My dad's going through his attic and he's, he's clearing out a lot of stuff like photos and I found some old rugby photos and DVDs. And I'd put DVD on in car just before I, before I left just to watch. I, I, I was amazed at how shit I actually was. Like, I watched this, watched this clip and I'm actually rang my dad and just says, I can't believe how shit I actually was. I think first tackle, someone bust straight through and scored. And then next carry, um, I got dominated. So I think that just summed up my, my rugby career for me. From 2011 when I went to be actually quite decent. So um, so that's that's a bit of meat football and straight in with a negative. <laughs> oh, is it positive? Because I can sit here and smile about it. So, um, which probably sums up sums up me really now that um, you know, like the the past and that, and what's in the past is in the past, and it everything that all of us here now, like you guys are doing this podcast for a reason, aren't you? There's probably a, a reason um, for you all of, of your why that you do what you do, um, and I guess that's that's the same with me. Um, you know, I played rugby, love love that 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 spell in my life and and what it taught me. Going back through some of the old photos from when I was at Salford with some real characters in the game like Stuart Little, Paul Ayton and. You know, these photos were from Jacksonville went out there and it was more of a lad's holiday than a, uh, a rugby camp. Um, and then obviously got a Leeds where it was completely different. It just was complete rugby camp here and not holidays. Um, but that, that taught me a lot of lessons. Only recently, I guess it's lockdown, I've started to look more back at rugby and what it taught me as a man, as a father, um, you know, what type of character I've become. Probably initially just always stuck in the, in the now at you um, or chasing the next thing. Uh, the next business project or the next um, client or whatever it may be, what everyone else is listening at. Um, and we're always trying to improve. And I think sometimes we maybe don't look back at some of those lessons. So probably haven't answered your question at all, but um, start to, to podcast there. Uh, mate, that's that's great. And I think you kind of touched on probably a lot of the things that we'll go into uh, as the podcast goes on. So probably the first thing to... Sorry, so nearly mentioned this before. Did you stopped playing rugby like late 20s? Yeah, 26, which obviously is, is young. Um, it was a World Cup year and I'd played for Ireland for, for like eight years previously or nine years. So I'm a 10th year, going to be playing for Ireland and going out to Australia. So it, it were a big decision uh, just to quit mid-season. It won, it won. It was a big decision for a lot of people like my old man who would love rugby and were around it. But for me personally, it was quite an easy decision actually. You can ask about that because so how did you find, I guess, like transitioning from full time rugby to, I guess, kind of like normal life? It's something like, well, me, me and Chris particularly both sort of stopped playing in the last year or two, and although we never played kind of full time, I guess struggled at times to get our heads around life away from sort of Tuesday Thursday training, Saturday games. How did you find that, particularly at a age where you were probably quite young to be retiring? from the professional game? Um, sounds mad and, and, and uh, I wish I could bottle it and give it to the players. I've not ever looked back with one slight regret. I didn't even have like a, a moment when I left where I was like, oh God, I miss, it might sound bad, I didn't even like miss my team. 
I think I'd, I'd grown as a, as a man, going through what I went through with Andy and Andy's man club, my ways of living had, had changed a lot. Um, my ways of thinking, my level of consciousness, self-awareness had changed. So rugby lads, you know, no offence to all rugby lads out there, but I know there's been a rugby environment, well, no, typically talking about women, uh, gambling, big, who had biggest weekend, uh, um, and then maybe playing college of or gaming. And a lot of that stuff had changed. So my way of thinking would change. So I probably felt like I didn't fit in that whole season. Um, I remember going back and one lad said to me, this is this what always summed me up for, for rugby. So I've just gone in, my brother-in-law killed himself. I've got my family absolutely ruined at home. Going into training, and one of the lads' first comments after got out of shower, like, I think it's selfish me, so it's like. And I'm like, do you know what? Like, I, I wouldn't even ask of this this guy. I didn't, this person isn't someone like, like I'd look up as a good character anyway, um, or a good good bloke, you know, in terms of, uh, of of his morals. But it just the fact that like that that were okay to say, as if that were like that I needed his opinion there and then. Um, and I've got my family at home, my little boy, who's, you know, favourite person in the world, where his uncle Andy, were dead. My missus were, you know, down at a mum's trying to plan her little brother's funeral, and I'm trying to juggle two kids playing rugby and getting back so I didn't let the boys down, because a big thing that we always get taught in rugby is like, don't let the boys down. Yeah. But like, when you're down, like, no one really, you know, really, I'm not about like, you know, you come back, you play from an injury, don't you? Like, you play with injured, you play like when you're not feeling too great and all that other stuff. But like, I don't know if people are really there for you in that environment when you really need it. I think, especially championships, quite a selfish environment because you've got a lot of lads either who aren't quite made it and want to make it, so they're, they're striving and they really want to be good. They're usually the best blokes, actually. And then you've got the ones who drop down from Super League, like myself, who weren't good enough, like, oh, I didn't quite make it, however, drop down. They still think they're good enough, so they think they're better than others. And you might get paid a little bit more than others, so you think you're a bit better. But, but your only goal is on yourself, so it won't really like a team where at Leeds... Like, I'm still probably close to some of them boys, um, especially lately with Rob. Like, I've been to his house a few times and Kylie keeps in touch. And that there were like a proper family where maybe Halifax, it, it, it wasn't the same. So, um, transitioning for me were easy. Like, at the time, uh, the coach, um, it, it'd gone a little bit weird weird with me. Um, I, don't, I don't know, like, looking back with uh, the success of Andy's Man Club um, and the huge scale of it, even though it didn't affect me at all, it didn't change me. I don't know if it, cha- it changed and affected people's opinions of me and the perceptions. Because um, I missed like three sessions in a in a in a year. One were Andy's death, one was his funeral, and one went out to go meet Prince Charles. Um, and I played part time rugby. Like who wouldn't have got who wouldn't have missed yeah. three sessions? And I remember him dropping me because I think he thought that I wasn't committed enough for summer. And um, and they asked me to play reserves, and I was just like, oh, that's, that's a bend at line for me. And it wasn't that big headed as for that's end up end up line and I, and I literally left that night and said oh, that's it I'm done like and I went home well the the downside was the CEO really close with give me two weeks off mid season over Easter so I went away to Lady Street with a family and I thought how fucking good is this I'm away with my kids you know I'm not worrying about tomorrow or Sunday I'm away and that was that just concreted for me so what what did you sort of think the next day so you so you've done that. You've you've walked away from the game. You woke up the next morning. Did you sort of have a a, a plan in your head, or you I'll, just never, I'll never forget it because um, I managed to negotiate because I, I was on good money for a part time player at Halifax. So I was full time. I worked for the club. I was on good good money, and the business I had, um, the speaking, um, was at a point where like it probably needed me to quit a bit to kick on. I had a lot of prisons asking, so but it, it wasn't concrete that I had any work lined up. I had nothing like in the diary. So it were like, it were potential. 
So in a quick Halifax, I left with like two months' salary that would be paid over next to, uh, over, I think we were going to be paid off over two payments. So I sort of had a little bit of breathing space. But I think the first one were due the day after, so I think it had just been paid within that pay. And then I had one month's pay left. And my missus were at uni at the time. Um, and I remember literally just thinking, fuck. Like, it wasn't fuck in the sense of, shit, I've left rugby. I hope my do about playing rugby. You know, like, I've got a family to provide for. And like, yeah. you know, ultimately, like, what, what? It's okay saying you're going to chase your dream, Luke, and go speak and do all this. But, like, and I, at the time, I was, like, mad into a lot of attraction or mad into, like, you know, putting out into the universe, going and getting it and working for stuff. But this this thing hit me then when it was, like, shit. Like, now you've got to back it up. And, you know, it, it worked out. Like, I think I think the stat I looked at before in my, in my own books, like, business increased by, like, 200% or something like It just went crazy. Like, once I'd gone all in, and, and I, you know, there's that saying about jumping from that cliff in there, you've got to just cut the rope. I used to say in my old talk, I spoke about for a while, like, we have a rope that, that restricts us, don't they, at times? Have you, have you heard the saying of the elephant? Where they put the, the little stick. You've been to a circus. Yeah, it's like the, the rope around the elephant's yeah. face, baby, and it constantly thinks it can't. That's like us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's like us. We get we get these limiting beliefs and like these these things that limit us. And I think I'd always thought that. I remember even speaking about it early doors. Like I'm a kid from a little little councillor in Halifax. What give me right to be able to go and speak to director Lloyd Bank, like, um, or going to these fancy events? You know, sitting going to Prince Charles's house. Like I didn't feel like at the time, like a bit of imposter syndrome, like, should I even be here? Like, you know, it gives me right to be here. And then, I don't know, someone clicked one day, I will actually cut the rope, and then it just went, Phew. and then no matter what room I went into then, I just felt like, not in like a big anyway, I just felt like I was the man. Like, in fact, they're like, no matter who you are, and my best thing is that I love is that I go into a massive organisation, the CEO gets trapped the same as like, whoever they'd have at the bottom of the rank. Like, if all CEO gets trapped, probably a little bit worse. Because I know that everyone blows smoke up their ass, and other person might need a bit of a pick me up. So that's just my mentality of life, you know, treating everyone the same. And I guess that's helped me out to be where I am now. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, like you said before, with being in a rugby environment, obviously I was the same, and I always felt like a bit slightly like an outsider as well. And I kind of took the dive into self development when I kind of met these guys and when I started personal training and I got released from Salford. But what made you kind of read like Law of Attraction and start working on your self development? Because it's obviously, it's kind of, I can't remember many rugby players who did that. I don't know if you was different or, but what kind of made you take the dive into it? I actually remember uh, Greg Eastwood used to live with me. Do you remember Greg Eastwood? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable player, like freakish. And, I'd get up in the morning before I'd play because when we were both at least together, we were both playing. And he lived in my dad's house. And I'd get up and have like a proper healthy breakfast. I'd be drinking my water. I'd be listening to motivational stuff on YouTube before people listen to you, that, that stuff. And I'll listen to it. And he'd come in and go, the fuck's this shit, mate? Like, he'd be like, and he'd just have like a protein chain out of it. That's all he'd have all morning. And uh, he'd go and he'd just rip it up. And it would just, thinking, and that was something that I started thinking about. Um, well, that, that was the earliest memory I can think now when I, when I started. So you're talking maybe 12 years ago that I'd be looking into this stuff. Um, and it wasn't very, uh, people weren't really into it then, was there? Like, you know, even in generally, it's not, it's even now, it's not really a UK thing. A lot of it's Americanized. Um, but my my uh, passion for the mind uh, all stems from my mom. So my mom had a car crash when I was eight, and she has a, a condition called need. So non-epileptic attack disorder. She basically got like slight brain damage, uh, which affects uh, her left frontal lobe. So she um, has very little memory. 
but she has these uh, drop attacks. So basically she just drops, she'll fall in past, she's knocked her teeth out, broken jaws, cheekbones. So then she she got real bad depression and real bad anxiety. Like anxiety at the point she didn't leave her house for either two or four years, not once outside her little disabled bungalow she lives in. And that were like, when I were between eight and 15, all this were, were happening. She did car crash at eight, but it slowly developed into this condition uh, which is a drop attack so i started to want to learn about it early doors and see what ways i could help her so i got real passionate about mental health before it were even mental health uh, because what i find interesting is is uh, and this is a lot of people who were involved with mental health would hate this being a, an analogy i think there's a big difference between mental health and mental illness um big difference i'd say mental health is more around personal development control of the mind uh, people don't like that because then it becomes a it's not an issue um users will find it um in the PT world, right? Like someone who's clinically obese is very different to someone who's overweight. But like the overweight uh, could be from either a trauma that they've become a comfy eater or they've got a, an issue with a thyroid or whatever. But ultimately, majority of people is self-inflicted, right? They've had the wrong diet and they haven't moved. It's as yeah. simple as that, isn't it? Like, and that's what I love about PT now. People are getting to the point where it goes, it's simple. It's calorie out. First calorie in this. That's it. That's the maths. And that's a bit like his mental health and about uh, his mind and personal development. Like what people don't look into enough. Like what are you feeding yourself mentally? Like and what output are you are you giving? If you're constantly talking shit about people and being negative and constantly finding the bad in everything, and all you're absorbing is the bad in everything, all that life's ever going to be is bad, and all you're going to feel is low. Um, so for me, like it became how could what ways could we get my mum? to start going out of her house, what ways could we help with the depression? So that were a, a journey that began 15 years ago, maybe. Um, and then over the last, you know, nearly two decades, or, you know, last decade especially, I really got into it. Um, and, and then obviously with my own setbacks. Um, but my actual real personal development, I never talk about this, never really on any podcast, uh, all stems from Buddhism. I got introduced into Buddhism 15 years ago. Uh, and pretty much everything I do talk about, uh, which is... Uh, you know, mask, mask, masked up, you could say, um, is Buddhism at its root cause, you know, and that's all, all, all personal development is when you really break it down. So yeah, I'd say 15 years ago is the very long answer to that short question. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Right. So go on then, let's take it a step forward then. So tell us about, you mentioned Andy already. Yeah. So kind of tell us a bit about that and how, I guess, his death, developed yeah. into Andy's Man Club and where that's gone over the last sort of three, four, five years. Yeah, so um, it was Saturday. He was around at my house, as he always was. We used to go to his grandma's house with my missus. Then he'd come back down with his daughter. And then kids would run right and would have a laugh. And, and uh, he was having a laugh that day, telling us about stuff that were going on. Um, we were about buying an house. Um, so everything was going good. He had a little bit of issues with the, with the ex, with the kid and stuff like that. And, and that were building up that weekend. Uh, but he was laughing it off, um, you know, asking his sister for advice and, and, and me and we were having a bit of a laugh about it. And then next day, he gets up, goes watch the old football team play football. Um, managed to convince him to get his boots on because he was short, he plays. Next morning, um, gets up, goes to work, says goodbye to his mum. Uh, but they don't wait at work. Uh, he buys a rope from being and, and then goes and kills himself that night. Um, Tuesday morning came, I were at a rugby camp, or just about to go to rugby camp with my little boy Alfie. And really interesting, this, he's 11 now, Alfie. Um, and we were talking about Andy's Man Club the other day, because uh, he always said that eventually he wants to be a part of it and stuff like that. And uh, we were on about, I said, well, when they tell the story, Alfie, about 
about what happened. Y'all mentioned, never, never told anyone this. He said, y'all mentioned about, about what happened. And he said, oh, do you know about when you dropped me at the rugby ground? And I never spoke about this in front of him. He's like, so I remember like, you, you, I, I remember, and I thought you knew something was wrong. He said, I could just tell by your face, it was six. He's like, your face mm. dropped when you picked phone up. Um, and I yelled, never forget it. And I was like, wow, like, he's going to be going on telling this probably in the next six, seven years. Like, you know, about his, his story about losing his uncle. Um, and, and I was like, wow. So he said, yeah, I could see that someone went right. And I took this phone call, mother-in-law, crying her eyes out, just saying our Andrew's dead. I got up to the house, like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, you know, I've lost a lot of people in my life growing up, grandparents, aunties, uncles, friends, um, you know, mates with dad at rugby fields, like, you know, Leon Walker, who were a good friend of mine. So I've, I've lost a lot of people and like, you know, it's hurt. But going in there, it was like nothing I've ever experienced because I had no idea how I died. And then when she hit me with the news, it killed itself. I couldn't believe it at first. I was like, nah, I can't kill myself. They're at my house like two days ago. I'm seeing him tomorrow. I'm going to go buy an house. And yeah, it took his life and it was just a, a surreal feeling. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And then um, the phone obviously started ringing and, and I felt like it wasn't fair on her to tell people. So Mrs. came through door. I had to sit down and explain a little brother killed himself. Then it went on his uncles. I remember, I remember ringing uh, his best friends. Um, and delivering that message, going up to the mother of his child's house, self-support. Then I'm going to never forget getting his car from where I'd left it. But I went and told my little boy Alfie, who I was telling you about a minute ago. Um, and I always said the screech in which he let out as a six-year-old boy will live with me forever were horrendous. Um, and that's the reason why we started Andy's Man Club, so that Nova family ever had to go through what we were going through. So as a, as a byproduct of Nova family going through it, we had to stop the guy going through it. So initially it wasn't about the guy, initially it wasn't about Andy. Um, it was. You know, it's always been about that one man. But the reason why it's about one man is so that if we can stop one man, it stops a family going through what we went through. So and that's that's the story of how it started. And then I were in a coffee shop in Halifax and I thought, you know what, it's time to start it. Sorry, re rewind. I approached my mother-in-law, approached my missus day after he died and says, we need to do something about this bullshit. You know, he should, why has he even done this? He shouldn't have done this. Look what he's done. Like, we should, you know, we can't have anyone else going through this. Shouldn't I'd leave it a little bit. Like, you know, but yeah, I agree. We need to do something. And then we went to a family wedding a few months later and I asked my mother-in-law and she said, yeah, you know, do it. And then I put this status out on Facebook and I thought that, I remember seeing status recently and it was like, you know, we'll get guys together, we'll play basketball, football, touch rugby just to, for that would be out. And I thought that's how we'd have to get guys talking by using sport. But first night we got in there, a few friends came, like my brother and that, to boost it up. And um, a few other guys came. I don't know if you saw a minute ago, I just put my thumbs up to someone. Um, one of the lads in office, uh, Oleg, he attended that first ever night, um, opened up. We were in a real bad place, real bad place. Uh, and now he works for us, um, for Andy's Man Club, which, you know, he's gone from not only coming through the door, a guy who probably might not be if it weren't for Andy's Man Club. He's a facilitator our most successful club. Um, in Halifax for four years and now he, he works and he's he's really made an impression since he started working here so um, yeah it's special um, we did have 28 clubs going into lockdown but I want all the organisations to grow in lockdown we're now at 36 groups um, and we just took on two new staff so we've got six full-time staff as of the fourth um, and we're, we're in talks to taking over another mental health charity a huge one so um, yeah it's, it's exciting um, the infrastructure is a great around his man club because we, so every decision is built on the why, which is that one man, which is helping people. There's never a decision made based on money. Obviously, when you get to sort of size we are now, and you know you're talking about having six full-time staff that you got to start budgeting for and, and all that stuff.
But but the beauty of Andy's Mankle, I guess, is that I've always done it for free. I don't ever want to work for Andy's Mankle. So as long as I can sit in there as as a voluntary CEO, Andy's Mankle saves a lot of money, doesn't it? So um, and I just I just love it. Like I'm in here now, I've come down here to to do this podcast, and I love being around it. And you know, I'm excited to get back in up fourth and and really lead this this team to do more amazing things. One of the things I like, so I, I once nearly said to us about like getting you on and telling us about kind of your story and that bit. One of the things I've like read from checking out like Andy's Man Club and everything is that the, a lot of the, it seems to be like guys that have come through it have initially come to you as like a member of the group wanting to talk about their problems and now kind of leading groups or getting involved to do with it as well. That Like that for me seems like it's awesome and is kind of a testament for the great work that you guys are doing with it. Yeah, and so the, the the guys come through the door in a real bad place, or some not in a really bad place, just you know it's that prevention rather than, than the you know the cure. So they come in, you know, maybe go through a relationship breakdown, it's hitting them, come through the door, and you know, they might be a real strong character or they might build in to be a strong character who starts to help others within the group and then the main facilitator or identify identify them as a potential facilitator, they'll become part of that team then. And if that main facilitator moves on, because everyone's life changes all the time, like you got you know, people have kids. You know, all sorts of stuff can change. Then that person might step up. But also what's really nice is we have this organic growth. So a guy might be attending Leeds for ages, but he might be from Castleford and he might be like, I've come here for ages. I'm a facilitator. Can I not take this back to Cass? We've got loads of problems there. And then we open one in Castleford, you know, and, and it grows like that. So, you know, we're at, we're at 38 groups because we've because of COVID, we've had to split some groups. So like we've got like a Huddersfield, like North, technically Huddersfield South, Leeds East, Leeds West. So we've got a couple like that. But we've also... The reason why I love it, we're in here then, because I was shocked that we're in here, was we're just launching Doncaster. It's another group that we're opening. So he's done that over Christmas. Yeah. So he's, he's nailed it over Christmas. So Doncaster's opening up fourth on Monday. So we're in here delivering facilitator training. It's meant to be his day off. So we've given him like Christmas off to work from home and he's come in to basically um, get make sure that club's running on, on Monday. So that takes us to 39 groups, sorry. That's awesome. That's awesome. So like, I guess one of the things we, we spoke about with it, so... Do you feel like this time of year you get more people? Because Christmas, like as much as probably those of us that have families, things like that, it can be a really great time. For a lot of people, it can be a really tough time. Do you find you get more people getting in touch at this time of year, or do you find like it's just any time of year you get people getting through the door? Well, there's two. You could do it. I hate statistics. But if you did two statistics from us, um, I didn't know one of them. One of them was our new marketing guy who's coming on board um, and comes. He, he basically looked at our website and almost get double the amount of hits in December time that he found, which were interesting. And yeah. then this time last year, we had our highest ever numbers, uh, 997, we'll free off a thousand in one night. Um, obviously they've dropped because of COVID. Yeah. Because uh, people are obviously afraid to come to groups. Um, but I'll better tell you next year whether that's, you know, well, say next year, maybe 2023 or yeah. never again. But um if we ever get some sort of normality. But yeah, last year in December, we, we picked right up. Whether that's to do with Christmas, I don't, I don't know. We, you know, we only had 200. We opened up for the first time ever um, on Monday. You know, we didn't do it in person, we did it online. And only 200 men access that service. I say only, that's 200 men who access that service, who turned the computer off after and went and sat with their families or their friends or their loved ones and still is. So it's, you know, it's, it's still a lot of men, but I'm on about in terms of like the sheer numbers we get. We're a bit of a drop off. Yeah. How have you adapted then? Is it we've done it? Sorry, Jones. Have you done everything like Zoom and things like that? Is that how you yeah. think groups go? Well, 
We were quite quick to transition um, within two weeks, I think, from lockdown, we transitioned to Google Meet. Um, and everything we run now is through Google. Um, and, you know, we've got all those platforms, we've got all the systems are all set up with Google Forms and, and all sorts of, of, of cool stuff. You'd be blown away by systems that all is coming and created. We even have like a traffic light system. So, for example, whenever we used to have signing sheets because of track and trace, for example, if you came to a group and you were going to the one in Manchester, once you've filled the, you get a form sent here, you fill it in really quick. You've got a Manchester, um, even email address in case of the changes. Uh, a couple of little questions, bang, goes into a spreadsheet uh, instantly that then formulates it. You know, how many is going to be in that group, which then goes to a traffic light system, which tells you if it's getting within 80, 80 to 90% of capacity that that venue is allow, allowing for COVID, then it means that we need to activate our alternative venue. So there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. So, for example, Ollie there, if he checks his sheet today and leads are going to be a 50 in a 40 man venue, he's got to come up with something quick, which he'll probably have an alternative venue on standby in Leeds. They'll activate, then the lads, 10 lads will get an email saying, This is your, your new location for Monday. So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on, which is which is he's good behind the scenes. What well, I just wondering what kind of sort of demographic of blokes do you, do you sort of have or see? Because obviously, different generations have different sort of mindsets and ethos around sort of mental health and being able to talk and obviously there's a stigma around blokes about being able to talk obviously the younger generations now it's more sort of prevalent for them to there's more platforms for them to to talk so do you find you have a specific demographic or is it quite sort of widespread with the with the age ranges of blokes you've got youngest i've seen come through um officially was 18 i think he lied he's one found out after um, but you know, maybe I think you were 18 for the purpose of the conversation. And all this is a, as an old chap who I've, who I've met personally, like who was 86, and it just ranges anywhere between that. It's mainly white, white guys. Um, it is, um, you know, we're going to be doing some work in, in this year, especially on the, on the uh, BAME community and try to get more guys in. Um, but in terms of like LGBT, that, that we get uh, a lot from that community. Um, just men, like, but yeah, it's predominantly white men. Uh, but white men have the biggest risk of suicide, don't they? But they always say the biggest stat, uh, obviously, is under 45, but obviously, the biggest age range is 45 to 49. And I, pr I probably would take a guess that that might be a big, big age group for us, um, you know, that sort of. But we do get guys who come in, like 20 year old, and then they sat with a guy who's might be sat with four guys who are 60, and then other group, you might get one guy who's 80 sat with four lads who are 30, you know, as a, as a, as a, a number so it is so widespread you couldn't ever put a specific number on it and obviously whatever you're doing clearly works because obviously you had great success and hearing about the stories and and the way you develop and help these people to go on and help others you know it's fantastic so it's obviously that what you do in these groups is, is great yeah and everyone who buys in it so like the staff in here sabrina who's there uh, head of office now. She she came through as a volunteer, so she started in here volunteering the time. Um, other than the marketing guy, everyone else has been in, involved with it. Like you know, Neil just come on. He's a user of the group, became facilitator, on who came up. Andy G the same. So sort of a system. I want to keep it like that. And every trustee, which is unique, every trustee is a user of the group. Because um, technically, even Andy's mom came up first ever group with me. So we've all been at a group. Um, which is quite unique. We are like a lot of old white men in suits who sit around talking shit. Like, and, you know, it's just, I've put in a day about this organisation that we want to support that we might look to 
take over and they're all on board straight away. I love it, love that idea. I think it could really help people, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, from top to bottom, we're all on ground level. And that's why it annoys me sometimes when like some of our users are, I might see some on social media, it's like a call made by an office as if it's this big HQ with like 500 staff and some big fancy CEO because like, we're completely not that. Like we're just, yeah. everyone's that worth. Like, I think, you know, other day I came in, it was just always like, it's just pranks, you know, they, they do work as well. We're just having bad it's good. It's just, it's just a good environment to be around. You know, like I came in the other day and uh, Andy had put an air on behind my door. Um, but luckily enough, I found it before I opened it. I didn't know who doing it, so I attached it to his chair. Um, so when he sat in his chair, you can imagine that it went nice and loud. So just a good bit of fun. Um, ultimately, dealing with this type of topic all the time, as we were sitting in his man club, like people come out of his man club laughing. People have an idea that it's all the guys sat around crying and uh, shaking and that and like just all down and it's dark and, you know, oh God, I don't want to go there. I'd feel miserable after. It's probably some of the best environments I've been in where you just sit, have a chat about real life shit, get deep on some stuff, use the powerful questions that get asked and then leave laughing. Um, how many times do you do that with, with friends? Not all the time, is it? That, that, that's interesting. Well, sorry, Jones. One thing I was going to say about, you know, typically the stigma with blokes and talking about mental health is that we are, like you said, like we've all got a mask on, very shut down about it. Have you had many challenges with guys coming to you like, and being shut down and struggling to break down their barriers to actually talk about their issues? Uh, no, no um, because... Sorry about that. No, because we have a system where you don't have to talk. Uh, phone ball is passed around. Um, so a facilitator will tell you questions and then he'll, he'll say something along the lines of name and positive reason you're here. So ball around. Anyone can answer that, even people who don't want to talk. Then the second, the first main question is always, how's your week been? Someone might go, I'm not yet, I'm not going to talk, I'll pass it on. And their eyes will be down at people's feet, right? Shoe watching. And then it, my ball might go around. That might happen for three weeks where they don't say, oh, there's crab ball, pass it on. But they've got used to that ball in the lap. And then after they've listened to other people and they realise that they're not weird or they're not alone, you know, they're not like alone in those thoughts and, and feelings, that they might then just give a little bit. And once they give a little bit, they usually give a lot. But three weeks, I'd say, usually tops for someone um but once you fruit door i'd say most people will just talk cool God, um, obviously you speak to a lot of guys who have you know going through certain issues and stuff like that and i imagine from your point of view sometimes it's quite a lot to take on board maybe some of the stories you hear and stuff like that how do you personally sort of decompress after maybe a a tough session or it's been a tough week or you've heard some bad news or something like that because you know obviously you're providing the service for somebody to help them like how do you how do you help yourself taking on or listening to other people all the time so my role within organization has definitely changed um and the name of this podcast is, is, is be a strong be, be a strong dad yeah, Strong Dad's Podcast, yeah. Strong Dad's Podcast, sorry. Strong Dad's Podcast. Uh, I was thinking about being a strong dad. That's why I, what a strong dad would be. Um, so for me, like, things have changed slightly. I can go into that in a bit, a bit of a setback we had with uh, his last born child and what happened to Mrs. But it made me reevaluate. And um, when I was working away a lot with the speaking, a lot, a lot, I didn't get to see kids much. And then a Monday night came where I took kids to gymnastics um, and missed AMC. And then it became that that's what I did. I took up with gymnastics. So as much as like I'll lead it from the, from the top in essence, 
groups now, I don't really get to that many. Um, I could lie and say I attend them all. There are a point where I didn't miss a session in about two years, not one. Uh, now it'd be very rare because he doesn't need Luke Amber at 36 locations because he can't be there anyway. And it runs perfectly on its own. So what I did find was is that people change when I go as well. Um, you know, and, and I've heard this feedback as well. Like um, just recently one of the lads came in and he was saying, oh, one of the younger facilitators says, oh, shot when like, like Luke, I felt like he was coming to check on us and like, you know, watching, you know, is he, is he, is he observing that? Is he taking notes? And I just went because I wanted to go to a group. But I found that in early days, like when he started getting a bit bigger, it became a bit more like Q&A with me rather than the group. So yeah. it, it lost a bit of that. So I wanted to do that. But I still hear a lot of bad stuff. And I still got to deal. Obviously, for a living, I work in prisons, or I did before COVID. That might not come back around. You know, as a speaker, we're in prisons, and I was seeing a lot of bad stuff. I'm talking like people cut six of their own fingers off. Like, and I won't go into too much detail, in fact, because it's... Yeah. You know, but like a lot of bad, bad shit. Um, and, and I guess I've always been a comfort eater, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and I see that in myself still sometimes, like, you know, where I just boom, balloon. Uh, and I look back and I reckon it's, it's still some of that. But majority of the time, in terms of dealing with stuff, I'm very good at not letting it go to my heart now. Um, I, don't, I, I heard a Will Smith saying, and it sort of ingrained in me, like, don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. Um, and I always remember a funny story about that. So I told you about I've got to see Prince Charles. I remember being in there and I'm way home. I'm like, oh, God, I've been to see Prince Charles. That must mean big things now for me. Like, you know, God, look at look at me. And he made him go, look at this. Around all these posh people who were blown away by me. That must mean I've got to go move to London. And, you know, and all these stuff were going from my head. Like, and then I remember my missus texting me. Not like, oh, babe, I hope it were, it were good. And like, oh, like, we're moving to Buckingham Palace or all like that. Just text me saying, like, don't forget mince for shepherd's pie. And I'm like, that, <laughs> she'd laugh about it now. But that were the the defining thing for me that, that said that nothing we ever achieve actually really matters. Um, and I hope that that don't come across negative and I'm striving for anything. My whole life has changed in this last 12 months. I'm a completely different person to like the, the really hungry guy that I probably was um, two, three years ago because being a dad changes you uh, beyond belief. Uh, and, and each kid represents something different. So like Alfie is my stepson. So when Alfie came in, someone's trying to break into my house, so Mrs. has got something on. <laughs> um, ring, ring. So when Alfie came, we step, I was stepdad. So I was still young lad, inherited, took a got a missus and, and took on a kid. Uh, wasn't really ready for it. I want dad. So, you know, but I didn't mature and he was like just my little best mate. Maybe for some, it's like when it's your first kid, your best mate. Then Aubrey was born, my, my daughter, and there were complications through that. Uh, when my missus had an asthma attack and got declared critically ill, uh, six months pregnant, uh, oxygen levels were about 30, you know, baby should have probably been dead. Um, and she got, you know, a doctor came in five minute warning, like, body don't take this here, she's gone. And then Ada um, give uh, Lisa's body, she got um, high blood pressure. A lot, of them, a lot of women get it. What's it called? Um, what's it called? I don't remember what the other missus is. Not um, pre-eclampsia, is it? Pre-eclampsia. She got pre-eclampsia quite bad. Yeah, cheers, man. She gave birth, and then after she gave birth, she got blood clotting at womb. Um, and that were really, that were horrendous. Like, that were touch and go. And I've just read recently, a girl from Halifax, you know, tragically lost her life the exact same way, uh, blood clot of the womb. So it's, it's the highest uh, way a woman can die after giving birth. And after Ada were born, I still was traveling away. So I used to live in hotels, uh, Sunday to Thursday night, every week, every week, uh, live home Sunday afternoon, get on Thursday night. 
Um, and, you know, it, it came to a point when COVID happened that it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, that I'm really present now with my kids and doing a lot more. Still got a lot to work on. But with all the stuff that's happened with my missus, with rugby, with my own personal stuff and my mum, my own life, with Andy, like, I don't think you can let that, that them things go to your heart because if you don't let it go to your heart, then it stops you moving forward, doesn't it? And at the same time, success-wise, like, I think if you constantly... I think once you achieve whatever you set out to achieve, like you only want the next thing anyway. So I think that saying is probably how I deal with it most. Don't let success go to your head, don't let failure go to your heart. So just following on that, it brings on quite nicely what you just said then is one of your like sayings is what next? Sorry, there's that as well that helps. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> it's the one thing that I have that I actually have to do with it. I forgot. I was, like, so I was watching your TED talk this morning and that, and that was one of the things that struck me out of that that I thought, like, just never really thought of it when you said when you said it on that. I was like, actually, that makes really good sense. And that we're always going to be like, what next? So when good things happen, like say it's not a destination you get to. You then go right. Well, what next? Or what I get the next thing or whatever. Whereas the same thing, we don't apply sort of the same thinking. If you like, if something bad happens, yeah, we don't go like, right, what next? How do, how do we how do we get past it? People think like again, that's a, a like a fatal like point we get to. Yeah, we get stuck in that, that that TEDx talk shit as well, by the way. <laughs> I was still playing rugby. I just started speaking not, not long before that. It's a different, different ball game now. It's probably like watching back rugby clips. That's just made me think about that this morning when you think of like what your career was like and you watch them back. I remember doing that TEDx talk and I got some right feedback saying, oh, that was brilliant. And I watched it back. I don't watch anything back that I do ever, no matter what, whether it's a TV. I watch this podcast back, by the way. Um, but I don't. I just, I've just never done it. I don't know why it is. I just never have. And uh, I watched a bit of it back, and I was like, "What is this? This because it was rushed. Like usually, I speak for an hour, an hour and a half, and like there's a lot of like humor, humor and comedy in there. And like they were all in my. I was about ten minutes in. I was talking like five minutes left, and I was like, "Fucking, I'm nowhere near." So I was rushing it, and it just felt shit. So hopefully, you've clearly got some out of it anyway, which is good. But the what's next theory came when. I've left Leeds, dreams over, and I'm in victim mode. Why me? Comfort eating, missus has left me. I'm rock bottom, I'm in the police cell, I'll just beat up some doorman. And I'm sat there thinking, why me? What what else could go worse here? And then I said, if you want to change your auntie, you need to change the question. Um, probably just dip back into some of my old uh, stuff I'd watched, you know, because none of us are a unique thought, do we? Like, just we all piece it together differently. And it just came like, what's next? Okay, what what, what is next? And probably at first it might have been negative, like, what else could happen here? But then it was just like, no, let's turn this. What can you control? You are, your missus in here, your rugby career's gone. Like, focus on what you can control. And I'd broke my foot in the whole incident, not been, you know, I broke my heel. Um, and obviously playing rugby then, you know, you're soft if you're, and because they couldn't find his cracks, it was that swollen. I had acupuncture on a broken heel and played rugby on it with a pad in my foot on Tramadol for six weeks before the doctor finally found it on an MRI and says, I said, well, what are you doing? Pulling me out. Oh, what's happening? He went, well, you played for six weeks now, haven't you? You might as well carry on. And he said, it was still like thick cracking my heel. So, yeah, I um, the what's next has just helped me through. Like when Andy died, I was like, okay, what can we do about it? COVID, what can we do about it? Like COVID hit, like I had a coffee shop that I just opened three months prior. I had my missus' business, my business, Andy's man club. And each of you went, what's next? A coffee shop, a, a ability came that I could sell it to my business partner. Uh, sold it in, gone, got rid of that because I, I had this big thing that when COVID came out, it made me realise how mad my life was, how busy I was. Every time I speak to someone, like, um, I think you might sit in there and know how busy you are. 
I'm like, people don't understand now. I'm not busy at all. And I love it. I'm busy doing what I want to do now. Before, I was like, Sunday to Thursday, non-stop. Then I, then I was getting calls about Andy's man because I was driving five hours down south on a Sunday uh, to the next prison. And I'm some of the MC on a call or I'd be helping do some other new business or doing the next thing. And it was busy, busy, busy. I might try fit, speaking to her missus who didn't want to speak to me because she was home with a baby, uh, my other daughter, my daughter and my son. So through home with all three of them. And I'm posting videos in like, oh, new hotel, spa's all right. And she sat with like kids going nuts at home. And I didn't look at it like that. I was just like, I'm a, I'm a victim of it. Like, oh, I'm away from home again. You know, like, you don't think about them sometimes, do you, about what your partners are going through? Like now, we're all here on a, what day is it? Wednesday. Wednesday, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're on a Wednesday, aren't we? Like, and our partners are clearly watching our kids or doing something else while we're, doing, while we're having a great time. So, yeah, I think um, the What's Next theory has saved me a lot of shit over the years. It's just managed to realign my focus. It's easy to focus on how bad shit is. Easy. He's presented around us at all times in his life. It's easy to look at his flaws, his insecurities. It's easy to get absorbed by him. But like the people who I find succeed mentally, because what is success is a question you could ask one day on a podcast and probably no one will get it because it's what you measure it by, right? And I think that changes. That always changes. Like some people's success is money. Well, I made a shitload of money doing my business and it didn't fulfill me the way that I'm fulfilled now earning nothing at a minute. Like not exactly nothing because then I look like I'm talking about adversity, you know. I'm not really talking three months ago. Look at me, I came from earning nothing. I have good businesses. Like, I miss it, I have a good business. But like, I'm, I'm, moral of the stories is like, I've gone from like a six-figure speaking business to like, I'm not speaking right now. So like, it's a completely different life. But like, I've never been happier. Yeah. Like genuinely. I, I go into schools now and it's like 10% of what I, I use a charge and I just love going in. Hanging out with kids and helping them out and doing some workshops. Like, it's just good. Like, I just, you know, like, I'm just, I'm picking what I do now. I'm just not getting strung up on like the next thing. And I love when I see people building stuff. Like I love it. I love it if someone's building a PT business, a forever, forever, is it forever? Uh, Don't them sports, them sports supplements that oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Herbalife, or whether it's yeah. someone building a coffee shop or whatever. Like I love seeing people grinding. But I think if you think to yourself that whatever you're gonna achieve is gonna make you happy, boom, you're a failure. Or you'll fail. Sorry, that's what I mean. You're not a failure. You will fail. Because ultimately, like, what you achieve doesn't make you happy. It's just another chapter of your story. That's it, I found anyway. The daily grind is what? It's the, pro, it's the process, the, the what you're doing on daily rather than the, what you're trying to get to. Because you'll get there and you say, it's, it's what's next. So I thought about, like, Jones and Neil, if you guys have got anything else you want to put to Luke, but I had two things down for us to sort of finish on. So one of them was um, how, like being a dad now, how do you encourage your kids to sort of be opening with their feelings and, and I guess learn, I guess the lessons that you guys teach through Andy's Man Club and things like that, how do you put that to your kids to kind of deal with their emotions? It's yin and yang here because I think we're dealing with a different generation, a very different generation. So like, I, I don't think like my generation is the problem. Right, I think it's like my dad's generation that's the problem. So my dad's dad told him that he should should better get on with it. I don't mind talking about it, right? 
Like, there'll be a point where I probably wouldn't have been as comfortable, but like, there's so many, it's okay to talk, played a big part in breaking down those stigmas. There was like an explosion of mental health campaigns after that, wasn't there? Yeah. Right. But, but, but there's a detriment to that as well, because now a lot of people talk about everything, right? So there's a fine line between talking about what's going on and doing something about it, right? Because there comes a point where like, you've got to um, get on with it. Sorry, not to just get, but getting on with it. So there is an element where you have got to get on with it ultimately. Like, so for, there's two types of people. The problem with it's okay to talk is there's two messages and I'll relate this back to my kids in a minute. So like, if, I, if I'm on here now, right, and I speak to Neely and Jones around and I say, Jones, it's okay to talk. And Jones is someone who's been bottling up for ages, he's struggling, he thinks he's bullshit about talking because he's going to be weak, he's going to be weak, he's going to embarrass himself, he's going to be a burden. Don't want to do that, right? But then he goes, do you know what? Like, if I don't talk now, I'm going to explode. And I'm either going to hurt someone else, I'm going to hurt myself. And he talks for the first time, he opens up, and he finds that actually going and talking about his shit helps him. But away from that, he's still cracking on with life, right? Then you might have Neela, who says, it's okay to talk. And he then talks about everything. So he'll talk about like any little minor problem and he'll make it into something that it's not. And then away from that, he doesn't do all about it because talking's the way that you deal with it. But like, he's still got a life to live. He's still got to go put bread on the table. He's still got to be a role model to his kids. So like, I think the problem with saying it's okay to talk or it's okay not to be okay, which is a saying that I'm loving it with because it's okay not to be okay. is telling someone that you should not be okay. Yeah. That's cool. And I had an argument with someone about it before, and I'm saying I all heartedly agree that like it's okay to not be okay, right? And it's okay to be happy as well at the same time. It's okay to be sad, right? But like you shouldn't accept staying there. Yeah, that's where it gets wrong. When you accept and then put a label on yourself that you're sad, that you're depressed, that you've got low mood, that you've got anxiety, you're labeling yourself, and then you put a limiting belief on yourself. You're attaching that rope to yourself that says I've got depression, I'll always have depression. Right. So with my kids, I think there's a fine balance between getting them to talk about the problems and getting them to deal with the problems. So my little boy, the actual oldest, he's great. He'll come home and tell you everything. Got a bird. Right? Got a bird now. You know, he takes his mum saying, here, look, I'm just going out, I'm going out with, I've got a girlfriend. He'll tell his, his mum about him like going through a puber. Like he's just started that. Like, he'll tell her anything. So he's pretty cool like that. Right. He also gets angry about stuff. Right. So I don't think talking is a problem. My, my middle girl, who's like really like me, is actually really shy. And probably we'd have to really pry it out of her. So with her, it is about working a bit more with how she's going to express her emotions. And youngest is just an absolute lunatic. Like she's just, she's two year old and she just thinks that she can do and do whatever she wants and climb out of any window or all. Oh, that's dangerous. She's there. Do you know what I mean? So I feel that like one at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, we'll work on her. But I think as a dad, any dad's listening, like it's about you being open enough to express yourself, right? But again, I think it's a fine line. I think it's a fine line. Like some people say that the kids should know everything. I don't think they should. I don't think yeah. kids should know everything. Yeah. Like, you know, why should they subject it to you and mum aren't getting on great at a minute? Right? And it happens. We all do it. We all argue. Or we all have argue in front of us kids at times. Or we all have those moments. But like, if you've got some money problems going on at home, should your kid hear that? All right, listen, kids, you know, maybe sitting down and giving the real facts, like, oh, it's time, we won't be doing this for a little bit, or whatever, but, like, you know, sitting and saying to your kid, listen, listen, I've got a coke, I've got a coke problem. You, need, you know, you don't need to know that, does it? I'll have smashing drink every night because I can't stand your mum. You don't, you don't need to know that, does it? So I think, I think it's a fine line with how much we tell us kids and how much we encourage them to talk. I think, yes, 
it's okay to talk. Yes, it's kidney to talk. Yes, but I think more important than talking, they need to understand their emotions. Um, they need to understand that. They need to get a level of self-awareness about themselves and, and a level of acceptance. So kids as a general, not just my own kids, uh, are living in a perfect world right now. You know, like we, we are in better times than we've ever been in. Yeah. You know, the, you know they say about, I know there's a lot of arguments about the percentage of poor people now and, and all this stuff. But like, as a general population, most houses have a flat screen TV. Most houses have access to food, majority. So like the challenges are very different to maybe when we were kids or our parents were kids, right? But I think like it's encouraging kids to be self-aware enough, um, have aspirations and be comfortable not in this perfect world that they've got to have a perfect selfie picture or that, that life's really perfect. What I love most about my kids is that they play out every night. My six-year-old plays out. She'll be playing out right now. It's My cousin came out every day. He's like, it's dark outside. I'm like, and? She'll come in. She'll come in when she's ready. I don't mean she stays out till like nine. It's like half ah, four. She still plays yeah. out. This six little girls all say, every parent watches because it's cold. It's like you can't get off like a new build estate. They yeah. play out on the bikes. Yesterday, they were snowballing. I, got, I caught a couple on back ahead. Um, they got me. That's what I meant. I played snowballs at the little girls. Um, and I like that's how he grows a human being. Yeah, you grow by social interactions, and it's it's missing. Um, and that's where the the new mental health problems are going to come. Social anxiety that's going to go. That's already going through the roof, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah. You know, like uh, perceptions of, of of perfectionism, like that's going to go through the roof, and like what well, that's going to do to body image. So all this is going to change. Um, but in terms of like getting them to talk, I think they do talk. I think they understand it. I think like doing enough work at school. Like, did your school have a counsellor or, or a full time pastoral worker? Like, there's those. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, like my little boys. When Alfie, when Andy died, Alfie got full time support nearly like of a of someone at school who did like um, memory jars with him, and, and that really helped him. Like my school had been like a Catholic school, so it'd be pray to God, God took took him or something. I don't know. It'd have been some bullshit, but like, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that. Yeah. So, boys, any any last things from you, lads? Any last? I was going to ask about. Um, we had a chat on the podcast a few weeks ago, didn't we? About uh, seventy-five hard. I don't know. Uh, I seen uh, Luke. You, I think you've had two digs out. Of, I might be wrong, but minute now, I'm on it day three. Yeah. So, like we were saying, is like the um, the good side of it, and obviously the extreme side of it. Like, how have you found it, and what led you to do it? I find I live my life better with complete rigidness. I just do. And it's not for everyone. Like, I love it. Like I did it because I were uh, climbing Snowden and I were out with some old schoolmates. And when they used to have a bit of bannocks, I put a bit of weight on. never bothered me. It, when they started talking about how fit I used to be, and they were no fitter than you. You were a freak, like 18-year-old, what you were benching, 16-year-old at school. Sorry, 15-year-old at school, what you were benching. The way you used to go running, like no one could ever get near you. And I was like, no, they're right. Right, so like I went home that day and I'm like, there must be summer. I thought I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start. It was Sunday. I thought, right, tomorrow I'm getting clean eating and we'll start by training. Then my mate from Abu Dhabi messaged me, Ben Boulder used to play for Harlequins. Do you want to start this 75 hard thing? Start a blue, didn't know what I'd gone through that weekend, just like how it should have been. I was like, yeah, I went, he went, I'm starting next week. I've just seen physio, I've got a bit of stuff to do on my ankle, I'll be good to go next week. I said, Well, I'm starting tomorrow. So I started it and I just honestly, the best thing I've ever done, like because. You've got to go get, like, now as soon as I finish this, I've got my next session already planned. Like, I'm excited to go do session. And, like, over Christmas, when I came off 75, like, I ate shit, didn't do training. So my self-discipline dropped, that's all on me. Um, that's my responsibility. That's no one else's fault. Like, people like to put some on people. That's my fault. 
where like now I think we're 75 hard good at it, it does build your self-discipline like to make sure you read 10 pages of ebook all this stuff that we know is good for us to so drink you know to drink your water that I don't know I now don't care I've drank more in the last two days than I thought last month because you, there's a certain amount of water you've got to drink and it's about being accountable to yourself there's another ex-rugby lad on this um, challenger man he texts me I, say, I text him yesterday saying are you uh, you got all your tasks completed um, or I said are you on this or what and he put 85% I said there's no 85% on 75 hard it's all in or all out so like it might not be deemed the best thing to do for you, but I think where some people get it wrong is they think that you've got to go and do two 45 minutes uh, intense exercise. This morning I took kids for a walk and now I'm going to go do um, a little pumping gym and then go in the pool for a bit. Um, my knees are smashed. I did an ultra marathon two weeks ago for shit and giggles and it's absolutely smashed my knees and my ankles. So um, I'm just building into a 75 hard. But yeah, I, mean, I love it. Like... Um, I just think the rigidness of it, it's not good for some people because um, they want that flexibility. My missus would never do it, but I just think it's something about it. I got to day 63 and I forgot to take a fucking picture, which annoyed me, so I started again, and then I forgot to take my picture again. A picture, uh, that's all I forgot. I did. So what were it like? By the time I realised, I think day 103 technically I'd been there, so I'd done 206 sessions. I drank like a million litres of water, read... Thousands of pages of books, all this stuff, and I missed on two pictures. And I was going to start again, and I thought, let's just get Christmas out of way and then uh, enjoy it, even though I don't feel like you enjoy eating chips. So that's where it got. That's where it got. So, um, but I'd, I'd encourage you. What's your boys' opinions on it? I guess we, when we spoke about it the other week. Is that's a nearly got it up and good. I like it for what you just said then about that kind of self-discipline. The like, I guess, giving you actions and things that you need to tick off every day. Where for me, I don't like it is when, kind of like you said, people take it to the extreme of go and bash out two mental gym sessions a day and all, all stuff like that. And I think like that it's just sort of that that misses the point. The point of it is about having that self discipline and like, I guess, linking it to what you said before about talking about stuff and then actually taking action on it. And I think something something like that, I give gives you that to take action, but it's just applying it to you and how, like, I guess, making it work for you, really. Yeah, 100%. I think the actual thing is not a fitness regime. People think it's a fitness and a yeah. loss programme. It's not, it's actually a self-discipline programme. Yeah. Um, and there's some mad Facebook groups on it where Americans go nuts. Like, you know, you might say, I've just done a session in the garage to um, count as an outdoor session and they just start absolutely smashing people. Like, if you can't do this, fucker, go home. <laughs> they want motherfucker like just, just like they're just so funny Americans out there like, they're just they're mad like you know I put them on there I've just done this uh, 26 hour walk for I did the 26 hour this set of six for Rob Burrows um, and I put does this count as one session they're like damn right it does right there's one session and you get the morning and stuff like that and then these other people are like well technically and they'll all argue on there technically like the seven and a half hour run I did 45 minutes is his first session. Then he's had seven hours off, even though he's chose to run in those seven hours. And the last bit is 45. So it's what I'm not, whatever, man. Like, I just I just like it. I just think it's good. It just keeps me. I think playing rugby, like, that's one thing you do miss. And I was chatting to another rugby player about it the other day. Like, you do miss that. Like, we do have training Tuesday, you do have training Thursday. And being full time, it was like, I were in fat club, fit club, this club, like, I had to go and do every little bit of extras it was. So 
doing 75 hard just allows us to have that little bit of a because there's no non-negotiables like we all do that like no matter yeah. what we like to train like you're getting days when in the morning you're like I cannot be bothered today we're like with 75 hard if you leave it like say we did this podcast and I went back to work and I had stuff on get all my tea with family it's 7 o'clock and I've got I've got an outdoor session to do my door's been busy hasn't it um, <laughs> if I had a 7 o'clock session 7 o'clock kids aren't in bed yet Mrs. is already a bit annoyed because she's worked all day. I've got all part of the routine. Little girl kicks off that night. She's not going to sleep. Let's just say it's half eight now by the time she's finally going to sleep. And you've got two litres of water to drink, an outdoor session, it's pissing down. And then you've got your um, book to read. I've done that before where I've been in bed at 11 and reading my book. I'm nodding off, you know, I'm forgetting so I have to go back and read it. Um, where, like, the good thing is, is it's probably like you with teaching your clients. Like, the day before, you should be planning what you're going to do tomorrow. Yeah, like where you fit in your training, where you fit in your dieting, what you're drinking, you already know what you what your work schedule is. So for me, like I know from fourth that it'd be five thirty get ups again, get the first outdoor session knocked out of way. It's good for your head anyway, isn't it? Yeah, getting outdoors, awesome. early doors, and clearing your head. I think there's no better. Yeah, I think you've got the. I think we went on about it, didn't we? Like it's having the common sense to the way you've digested it, and then went and do it and. Unfortunately, common sense isn't that common. Some people just go for it and just, like you say, destroy their lives with it. But yeah, I'm all for the discipline of it. I think it's class. Yeah, I love it. Cool. I think we'll wrap it up there and we've got loads in there. So um, I think all that's left for us to say is, Luke, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. We've clearly loved it and uh, got a load out of it. And say, so hopefully, everyone uh, that listens to it will get a load out of it as well. So um, just finally, where can people? like get hold of you or Andy's man club or, you know, if, if anyone's affected by anything we've spoken about and that today, where can they get hold of you and the stuff that you do? Yeah. Uh, Andy's man club um, is on all social media channels, Andy's man club uh, UK. And then they can also email him for Andy's man UK. And for myself, it's just Luke Campbell UK, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'm not the best at getting back to people. Um, that were another way I'm going to say that I, I can handle stuff better. Um, I'm going to say, Jones, eh, that I just uh, don't reply to many things because <laughs> it's just a hard, it gets overwhelming. So many social media channels, so much going on that you've got to put systems in place to protect yourself, haven't you? So you can get hold of Andy's Man Club at infoandysmanclub.co.uk. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and all the best for the new year and 2021 ahead. We look forward to seeing some big things from uh, Andy's Man Club in the new year. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, mate.